Not only is it deeply fulfilling to make podcasts that bring new perspectives on society to folks, with Anchor, it's incredibly simple. It's a free podcast host with tons of creation tools that help make cut and polished podcasts straight from your phone or computer. Anchor makes podcasting simple. They distribute your work to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other major platform distributors. They come with a built-in advertising system so you can make money without a minimum listenership. It's got everything you need to make a fantastic podcast in one place. So go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Hello and welcome to Deconstruct. My name is Fitzgerald Pucci. There are many myths in American society that are causing us to act against our own interests, and Deconstruct's goal is to shed light and give clarity on these myths. Together, we'll trace the origins of the myths our society has forgotten the history of. We'll follow the money trail of the people and institutions who benefit from these myths, and we'll study together how each myth changed the way our world works. Our goal is to equip a listener with a multitude of lenses to see each myth with a fresh perspective and give them the power to reach their own conclusions. Today on Deconstruct, we sit down with a friend and brother of mine named Amadon Zalerba, the host of the Get Real or Die Trying podcast. Today, we're going to sit together and talk about working through the ugly parts of our masculinity, finding real role models, and engaging in collective care, as well as many more things. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And welcome to another episode of Deconstruct. This is your host, Fitzgerald Pucci, speaking with a special guest today, Amadon Delerba of the Get Real or Die Trying podcast. Amadon, it's so good to have you on today. Thanks, Brian. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. The pleasure is mutual, my man. Last week, I guest spoke with Amadon on podcast show, Get Real or Die Trying, and we had a really powerful conversation about just the process, the intricacy, and the realness of the inner work. And we covered a lot of topics. It was one of the best, most engaging conversations I've had in a long time. And I'm real excited to be in Abaddon's presence again today. I hope that we'll be able to have a a continuation of some of the insights that came from the last time we spoke. For sure, man. Absolutely. And it's mutual. We had a really good conversation. I was really inspired by some of the things we uh, touched on and, you know, Unfortunately, in this uh, modern world, sometimes it's uh, it's rare that two men can connect on a, a spiritually intimate level like that. So, uh, especially especially two men who just met for the first time, yeah, <laughs> virtually. Totally. Like, so I was stoked on that, man. I'm still was, kind of wild and out about how we just found the shows on the podcast network. Said this is the vibe and did it. Yeah, yeah. That was that was that was tight. Very excited. <laughs> so happy this connection happened. Me too, man. Me too. Yeah. So you mentioned to me a little earlier on that you were working on some inner work. 
Are there any pieces of what that journey has looked like so far that you're comfortable? And when I say comfortable, I mean comfort with the knowledge of the fact that this is incredibly intimate work and one of the most difficult and rewarding processes of human change. Do you feel cool with maybe saying a thing or two about what the journey recently has been like? Yeah, man, I, I can I can share uh, some of it for sure and touch on it. Um, you know, a lot of it's been about redefining and refining my character and myself and kind of uh, reevaluating the way I conduct myself sometimes and being more in check with my strong presence, my opinions, my machoism that comes up at a time really kind of refining my masculinity in general and all that that encompasses and having my spiritual elders in my life and my loved ones and the women around me point out to me how I've been failing in some areas or some of the mistakes I made or how I can do better right you know and so really coming to terms with that and understanding that I'm accountable for my actions and how I think how I speak and my energy field and really just trying to take more responsibility for that and and, and be more balanced man also some of the inner work too has been you know seeing how pride and ego can affect perception in certain situations my own narcissism in certain situations you know my own shortcomings in these areas and how they've tainted my perceptions of certain people right. certain circumstances yeah. and just being willing to take a look at that you know take a step back take a look realize uh identify my imperfections mm. and um uh change you know really try and change those patterns and those mental states yeah. those emotional states that are uh, not healthy amadon that's massive work you're doing right now man I'm really proud of that. It's some of the hardest work that a man can do. And one of my mentors, one of my dearest friends in the whole world, once said to me how important it was to be able to be responsive to feedback as a member of the community. And that mm -hmm. really sat with me. Because the things that hurt, even those things, sometimes especially those things, can be some of the greatest teachers and catalysts of the change we're looking to see. I'm yep. really proud of you of going through the process of digging through the stuff and finding what you have to improve. And I want to give you yeah. support as a valid man on the path of accountability, one of the greatest attributes a man can have. And while that work I've personally experienced that kind of work of identifying deeply problematic aspects, things that need to change for the betterment of the people around me, and saying, okay, we got to do this. I'm scared shitless, but we've got to do this. And I have mm -hmm. nothing but love for that, man. Nothing but love. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. It's, it's uh, like you said, it's hard work, and it's yeah. uncomfortable work, you know? Yes. And it's, I think... Uh, we're used to being uh, ease seekers. We're used to being pleasure seekers. We're, I mean, human beings, when I say we, <laughs> humanity, you know, the culture we live in 
is about finding finding the next high yeah the next easy thing and really you run away from uncomfortable situations and conflict and going head head first into it man is a it's a fun thing <laughs> yeah yeah oh man yeah i can i can almost feel the flames all over my body again not like emotionally speaking it's it's a trip yeah. and that happens to you and it just you come out different man well it's interesting too is when you sometimes we don't choose when this happens you know right. like right sometimes it's point it's pointed out to us by a mentor like you said or our elder and somebody and it kind of hits you uh out of left field right and then you're right. like whoa wow okay and that and then it takes a little like you know digestion period a little processing time it's, it's a little it's kind of like getting yeah you get tapped on the shoulder and you turn around and you you take a hit yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hit, but it's, yeah. it's kind of like that like it's shocking right and so you know it's good though it is as long as we have the consciousness of wanting to ascend wanting to change wanting to improve and optimize ourselves and grow how then, uh, in the moments we where it. we get sucker punched can we roll it off with grace and move forward? Yeah. And I feel that. Yep. And that is incredibly difficult work. For so many aspects of how men are raised, there are so many aspects that create wounds in us that are really difficult to treat sometimes. Personally, mm -hmm. I've had an insane dependence on emotional validation that I thought mm -hmm. that I sought after on hookup culture and that created a, an entire wiring in the neurons of my mind that deeply dehumanized the people around me that I was of the of the opposite gender mm -hmm. it was difficult to it was, it was difficult to treat the women in my life with the grace and the honor they deserved and it's something that I'm still yeah. working on at this point. And it came from a lot of early set uh, sort of cultural teachings. It came from a lot of early set influencing factors in the media I consumed, in the stuff I watched, in the talks I had with my friends at this tiny rural middle school in high school and college and so on and so forth until the moment where I make the decision to dedicate my time not in resisting, not in running from those feelings, but like you said, diving headfirst into them. How does one even begin to approach that idea? Yeah. Well, that's a good question. <laughs> I think I think you, there's a, an acceptance that has to take place in a, in a man's heart, in a woman's heart, anybody's heart that's that's ready to want to change, but you have to accept that you have to do things differently, and you have to accept that the way you've been doing them hasn't been working, and so it's like once you become woke and conscious to your actions, your irresponsible actions, your wrong actions. Once you accept that you've been operating in a lower way, you then just, you know, sometimes people don't even want to accept it. But like, because they're so accustomed and so used to, to living in this way. And, to, and it's just easier. Yeah, and it's easier. By accepting it, 
and you got to change. <laughs> yeah. Right. So absolutely. I think, uh, I think the first process is acceptance and then, and then, then there comes commitment, committing and, and sticking through the change because you're not going to change overnight. You're not just going to, Oh, realize it, snap your hands. And all of a sudden you're a better man to overcome these issues that you, that took you years to learn. So there's an unlearning process. Like we talked about in the, in the name of your podcast was a deconstructing prod, uh, process and that does need a little have... bit of that clockwork precise kind of commitment to yeah. making it normal in one's life. Yeah. And having humility. I think having humility is a really important virtue. Right. And I want to hear about change. that. Well, humility, I mean, I think that, again, in our society, in the wrong way that we're taught as men, we, we, we are taught to operate from the ego, from the machoism, from pride. And, um, you know, we have this understanding, this misunderstanding of humility and, and almost that it's weak. You know, humility to me is, is a gentle acceptance of our own flaws and the willingness to, to have them revealed through any avenue, you know, and, uh, and not being pretend. You know, so my show, Get Real or Die Trying, part of getting real, you're my inner work is I'm just trying to get real, get more real. I'm trying to get more humble. I'm trying to just be more real so that I'm not pretending that I'm something I'm not, you know? In all of the episodes of your podcast, Get Real or Die Trying, by the way, everyone, incredibly made, deeply poignant. I mess with this show a lot. Get Real or Die Trying has my seal of approval. Have you come to any semblance of a working definition in the journey you've taken so far of what real looks like? It's <laughs> a good question, man. It's a really good question. I think I think part of it is the exploration I'm on and the pursuit to that, but I think being real, it, it comes with a set of other higher virtues. And it comes with these, these virtues that are almost seem mystical to us now. Honor integrity humility you know when being did noble that fall out ability of the lexicon for our society we're teaching we're teaching our boys and our men to be hustlers you know to be <laughs> to you know conquer to take to and not we're not sitting down and having these discussions about nobility honor strength integrity honesty gentle strength you know those things are all really important to me. There's one factor that combines a lot of those noble masculine concepts you're talking about. And it happens to be the same thing that just can exist in the same space as conquer. Trust. Resiliency, dependability, routine. Even though it feels a little boring, it, it creates trust you become more trustworthy in consistency. Yeah. And that is a definitely. very freeing thing. I become more yeah. trustworthy through my consistency. That's a really good point, man. It's a sacred practice, I feel. Yeah, it is sacred. And we live in a culture, I think, where there's a lot of emphasis put on the lack of consistency, on doing whatever you want, on unbridled liberty, on spontaneity not that spontaneity is bad but there's just too much emphasis on lack of commitment 
Right. I'm not talking about just commitment to a person, commitment to getting up at a certain time. Like you said, consistency, ritual, discipline. Part of being a man and being an adult and being mature is following through. So you say, I'm going to get up at 6 a.m. every day, then you get up at 6 a.m. every day. I'm going to do this every day. And you create that. And that's responsibility, accountability. And, you know, that emphasis on that in the world today seems to kind of be less. It is less. Right. I mean, yeah, we've disconnected from the divine masculine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you brought up you brought up about growing up and just the, the hookup culture. And yeah, I mean, that's a huge just our perception and our views of women. And I'm not sitting here talking like I'm some ascended person who knows. Right, definitely. We have to acknowledge that as flawed people here. Yeah. I'm talking from my own desires of wanting to see and operate and treat all women with respect. Yes. And I think as yes. men, treating a woman with respect means changing the way we think and the thought pattern that happens when a very attractive woman walks by. And we have, and we have those, and we have those like chips that go, yeah. And we think whatever, you know what we think (laughs) and changing that pattern right there before it even comes out of your mouth. Noticing that and resisting it. What? That feels so foreign because it's so instinctual because we've been so thoroughly inundated in that. Yeah. Some of us are innately shamanistic. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay. like we don't realize, you know, I, I mean, I feel that I am and I feel that it gets pointed out to me by my wife, by my sisters, by mm-hmm. my mother. <laughs> yeah. And not in a, it just gets poured out in a jokingly way where they help me to grow and see that. I think any strong man or man who's ambitious and passionate and is trying to achieve things and has a lot of energy. Right. And is what some may consider an alpha male can can almost subconsciously be chauvinistic at times. And so being aware of that as well and, and trying to change that. But Can I tell you one of my favorite tricks for having uh, gone through that process as someone with a lot of that desire to prove themselves? Yeah. I did the hardest thing that an alpha male can do. I got comfortable with the idea of being small. Yeah. Because at that point, the alpha male ceases to become an alpha male. They, they're no longer an alpha male. They become something else. Is that a reduction or is that transcending something? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think we can tend to have radical emotional thoughts. You know, I can, but men can in general. Like, I have to reduce myself mm. versus I have to transcend a lower pattern. Yes. You know, and there's a yes. difference. And making ourselves small. It's funny you say that because I've been kind of having this ongoing conversation for the last few months about that, this very subject, kind of, I feel like I need to reduce myself. And what I mean by that is like, I'm kind of bulging at the seams energetically, passionately. I can bulldoze people's opinions and energy fields. I can be unintentionally disrespectful. Yes. I can be chauvinistic yes i can be forceful yes and so that's where it's like i need to tone down bridal chains refine yeah and really transcend but some of the language that i can use in my own emotional state 
can be defeatist language, can be very dramatic right. language. Like, I need to strike myself down. I'm gonna, I need to make myself. Well, you said small. Yeah. And you don't need to make yourself small. You can let yourself be small. There's such a yeah. huge difference between those two things. That's true, yeah. Yeah. I, just, I really, I love all of the clarity that you're seeing with yourself, how clearly you're reflecting all of this. That takes so much courage to do, and I want to give a lot of support to lift you up there because I remember how hard that is. Thank you for how courageous you have been in your own self-reflection so far. Oh, yeah, yeah, thank you. I mean, I attribute my clarity to identifying those lower patterns in me to my elders because they're the first ones who identify them and I'm blind to them uh, and I have been blind to them until I really chose to listen, to hear, to accept, to want to change them. I didn't really fully see it and I still may not in some levels. And this process will happen again. This isn't just like, oh, we change, we heal, and we've reached some place. This, this goes on and on for our whole lives, just different stages, different things, different levels of overcoming, you know. And, you know, I, I have this analogy that I remember about my own struggles with a lot of, and the, the struggles that I had and the struggles that I continue to have. When I first started playing trombone, I played everything oppressively loud. And I was like, <laughs> I'm just doing me. I have this trombone, and I played my trombone really passionately with a lot of vigor and a lot of excitement. And it translates to loud as hell. But then I learned how to play the trombone really piano. Piano being the dynamic term. It's, it's soft, but it mm. contains a really potent energetic presence. We can find energetic presence in quiet and still and small. All of those things that we've found traditionally powerful, if we resist that level of power, there comes a second, more grounded layer that becomes accessible in my humble opinion, which is a sort of energetic loudness that you get from being in touch with presence. yourself in that way. Yeah, exactly. Like presence, yeah. I love yeah, that. It's, it's interesting. I look, and like, I like your analogy. I'm a drummer. Yeah. I started playing drums as, as a kid, five years old. Yeah. I had a kid's band. I had a teen band. And as I became a teenager... I was like that, like you, I, my drumming was just way too loud. I played too much. My bandmates were always telling me, my father, who's a master musician, was always telling me, you play too much. Yeah. You know, and you can imagine when you have a drum set and you got four toms and you got eight cymbals and you feel the need to hit every, everything. Oh, you just want to... <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. And so there's a time and place for that. But when you're actually playing a song with eight other musicians... You need to simplify and you need to not play too loud and you need to have dynamics and you need to step behind the lead singer and and it's so, so I, cool that you put the band into that because like every time i've experienced playing with another group it's been a, a, a mutually participatory energetic experience yeah well musicianship takes restraint and i think people don't realize that and when you're a young musician you don't realize that your ego's out there. You want to play as much as you can, as loud as you can, be seen, be heard, be appreciated, be adored. 
<laughs> yeah. And then you wow, realize you are so right about that. <laughs> you realize that a master musician has tremendous restraint, t- tremendous self control. And that's what my father was always trying to teach me and still is. <laughs> Not just about musicianship, but about life. But uh, as far as playing with other musicians and creating something magical with a group of musicians in a band, in an ensemble, you have your part and you have to restrain yourself to play that part perfectly and not overdo it, not overstep, not too loud, not too much intensity, don't rush it. And so I've learned a lot through uh, through music, you know. Yeah, I've been blessed to learn a lot through the musical experience and still am, you know. That balance is so hard to come across. I feel like I've been trying to find it for years, and I still have so much of a ways to go. Well, we all do, and I think the cool thing is we're young. We're young men. I mean, we have have our whole lives ahead of us, and sometimes we can be pretty hard on ourselves, especially when we become so acutely aware and conscious of our flaws and wanting to do better. That's hard to go through. It's, it's very you know, easy to not like myself when I go through that deep investigation. But yeah. I do it because I know I love myself. Yeah, exactly. It's an interesting, interesting dichotomy of like, when you truly love yourself, you have to be willing to be, become intimate with the parts of yourself that you really hate. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. parts of yourself that are ugly, that, that are not uh, serving you, and you have to be willing to to become close to those parts so you can change them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's that's kind of the whole thing about getting real. Getting real is just, it's a, it's a process of shedding the layers, shedding the facades, becoming who we really are, and, and pursuing the virtues that help us to be real. But to me, real is almost like love. When you act in tr- love and you act in true love, the facades fall away. The judgment and the competition and the jealousy of a person Mm. or whatever it may be when you're a real person you're a loving person all that gets out of the way and you just make that connect with that human being in front of you i i i love how you say that because it just feels like one of the greatest kinds of protests that one can have in this world yeah love is not profitable it is not convenient but it gives that essence of humanity that people spend so much money trying to find mm-hmm. when they don't need to. Yeah. When it's right there in yeah. front of them. Yeah. And that, I think that's exactly what we're talking about. But it requires a currency for us to spend that isn't a dollar. Yeah. We have to. We have to just dig into the darkest parts of the mind with our pickaxe and just sit there smacking a wall until we find the gems we need. Mm-hmm. Definitely. <laughs> they come. That's the process. Yeah, it is. That's the inner work. What a yeah. beautiful full circle you put that up to. I feel like I better understand we real after that delicious little digression. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. This like so many other experiences I have just makes me feel 20 pounds lighter. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's cool, always yeah. how I feel that I would love to take some time to talk about role models with you. Hmm. 
I think one of the most immediate ways to tell what is going through people's hearts, what they're loving, what they're believing, what they're feeling really strongly about, is uh, to ask someone, who do you look up to? And just listen to what they have to say. Cool. Yeah, well, that's that's a great question. I, I think for me, there's a combination of living role models and then dead yeah, <laughs> people from the sure. past who've been who've been great leaders and great men and great women of, of history and who've changed the course of history because of their own right choices and convictions and commitments to their belief, to their cause, you know. And there's a lot of those. Uh, to be honest, mine is quite simple. Yeah. In the sense that the greatest role model I had in my life was my father. I love that. And that is, you know, that's a beautiful thing because it's, in some ways, it's like the simple archetype that we all, that it should be for all men and women, that it should be their father. Sadly, it's predominantly probably not the highest role model uh, in a lot of people's lives from what i've seen from what i've talked to you know uh there's just a lot of poor fathers in this world unfortunately especially modern fathers in the last you know 15 20 years as i think the the imbalance of man is uh, increased and men a quickly chosen... note on that do you know something that yeah. really upsets me about the 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 starvation of genuine fatherhood we're experiencing in this country yeah I'm so mad at the institutions that are taking fathers of color away from their kids. Yeah. I'm real upset that so many fathers are being forced to spend these unbelievable amounts of time in jail to the point where it just becomes common understanding for like tropes to exist about black folks not having good dads. Yeah. Yeah, it's I a want, serious problem. I really wish everybody just had access to a good dad. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. And so I, I was I was blessed to have that, you know, in my life growing up as a man and, and have a father who, who taught me things at a young age and he was a great role model. And I had other role models around that, other men who were great men around yeah. me and, and women. Um, yeah. But the role of a role model is that they, you know, sometimes in life you come across people who have all the great talk and they say the right things and they write the right things, but their actions don't match. You know, they're not living by example. They're not personifying their teachings. And, um, you know, so that's... The, those people can fool people for a little bit, but not for not forever. Especially when you meet them in person and you start spending time with them and you have a more close connections with them, you can see that oh, these people aren't for real. I mean, they might. And everybody's flawed. We're all human, but they're you really not living. You can tell when people are wearing know. their like facades. You can tell when people have the yeah. mask up. Yeah, you know, we can all intellectually um, understand when someone's teaching us something. And it can resonate with us, and say so. Say a writer's writing all because I used to read, and I still read a lot, you know. But when I was a teenager, I really read a lot before I had a lot of time on my hands. Um, I just consumed books and I would read and read, and 
you know, the words really resonated. They really helped me. But then I thought about, wow, if I ever met and spent time with the, the man or woman who wrote these words, would they be a personified example of the teachings that they're writing about? You know, because it's easy for us to get into a flow state of consciousness and write the words down, I am love, and then go out the door and not be loving the next minute. And so I've when you, when so you meet somebody... so many good moments in life because of autopilot. Yeah. Yeah, when you meet somebody in real life, though, who is an example and who is living and, and walking the talk and is real that way, it's pretty cool. So those are my role models, you know. My father's been a huge one. There's others. And, of course, there's a lot of people through history that I've read and been inspired by. I think one of them that may surprise people or it seemed to have surprised people before when I brought it up, is a Che Guevara. Yeah. Um, I, I started yeah. reading, and I think maybe why it surprised people is because maybe the violence of some of his actions didn't really match up with the spiritual principles that I try to live by. Right, but right. That does, you know, that's not, that's neither here or there. Because Che Guevara and what he believed and what he did and the principles that he did try and live by at a young age, really inspired me. And I started reading his writings and his journals and reading about him at 13, 14, and then all throughout my high, oh, high school. Oh, we love and then, Shay on this podcast, man. Yeah, brother. And I was like, Shay is a cool dude. In a lot of ways, he was a role model with his fearlessness, with his conviction. I think anybody who has that type of conviction, whether they're flawed or not, you have to admire conviction when they're willing to sacrifice anything for their ideals and for what they believe in which ultimately he sacrificed his own life uh, for that. But he was also, he was a man who had courage and was a voice for the voiceless. And I've always, I've always respected people who want to be a voice for the voiceless. They want to shout out for the people who are not being heard, who are not being seen, who are not being recognized. He was a freedom fighter and he was, you know, a symbol for, you know, that photo, that famous photo, Che Guevara, it's black and white with his beret on. Yeah, 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 yeah. At one, at one time, even up until recently, I think it still probably is the most reproduced photo of all time. Wow. And uh, especially, I think it's it's remained that way because now everything's digital. I mean, it's been printed so many times and it's spray painted all over South America and all over the world. And it's a symbol, it's a symbol to me of fearlessness and conviction and actually selflessness. You see... He came from wealth. People don't know this about Che Guevara. He was a doctor right. in Argentina. Whoa. I mean, he had he had an, a wealthy family. He was going to college. He had money. He could have been a doctor, made the money, had a very comfortable life. What happened is he had a spiritual awakening, and he took a he took a, a road trip with his buddy on a motorcycle, and they they made a movie about this called The Motorcycle Diaries, and it's based off his real diaries. During that road trip, he had a very real awakening where he saw the oppression, the injustice, the poverty of the people of South America everywhere he went. And I respect that he he chose to be a fighter for others than to just go into a comfortable lifestyle. He could have went back and went to college and became a doctor, made his money, had his house, and just lived his life. Instead, he had enough selflessness and concern encourage uh to to try and correct the problems that he saw 
Did he sometimes go about it in the wrong way? Is violence always the method? No, I'm not a believer in violence, but I am a believer in defending yourself. And he, <laughs> I'm a believer in, I mean, we're talking about a different time where people were getting murdered in the streets. It's gunpoint. We're talking about a different time where violence, in many cases, was necessary. Uh, is it the yeah, highest yeah. way on the spiritual perspective? Maybe not. But anyway, Che Guevara and even Fidel Castro, these men were, you know... And any person in America, when you talk about those folks, when you talk about Cuba, there's a very good chance that they're going to get very upset about it. Oh, yeah, because they're taught in high school that these guys are uh, terrorists. Yeah. And <laughs> and Fidel Castro had enough cojones to stand up against America. <laughs> and, and three months ago, they immediately created one of the most effective forces to treat COVID on a global scale yeah. that the entire world had seen. Yeah. Cuban doctors ran the show in the, the recovery of the world. Italy, our home country, had so much help from them. And I think I was gonna, that I was attracted to Che Guevara because I could relate to being greatly misunderstood. I think right. he was greatly misunderstood by right. most people. But he was guided, like he said in his quote, guided by great acts of love. And I knew... When you study this man, his actions were all love. He was doing what he did for love of humanity and the courage and the you know, commitment that he had to follow through with, with, his, with what he felt was right, I really admired. And I admired that he stood true to a cause. Anyone who's willing to die for what they believe, you know, not everybody is. People can talk about it, but, uh, you know, to I starve really for what you believe. <laughs> You're making me think a little bit about, like, how do I feel about martyrs in 2020? I'm kind of yeah. thinking of that. Like, so many of our heroes have, like, gone and they've, they've passed and we've honored them. God rest their souls. I don't know how many more martyrs I want. And I, I understand mm -hmm. how inopportune a time I'm saying that. We just lost John <laughs> Lewis the other day. Sheesh. Yeah. And... I feel like I, at some point, I'm gonna have to like actually face that. Yeah. Well, I, I think too. Another thing with role models is that they have to be. To me, a role model has to truly love. Like, if you have a personal role model in your life, not like a Che Guevara who I'm removed from. I don't know him. <laughs> He's obviously from a different time. He's dead. But if you have a someone in your life who you personally associate with and, and they're a role model to you, um, you have to really make sure that they are guided by the true feelings of love and selflessness. And I think that people growing up have wrong role models. It could be their big brother. It could be their dad. Just because it's their big brother, their dad, and it's their role model growing up. Uh, it could be their, an uncle. It could be the older guy down the block who's selling drugs and driving the nice car. Um, and it's this kid's role model because they think that's what they want. And this guy doesn't love them. He doesn't love this child. He doesn't care about them. And so I think when people are searching for the mentors and the role models, they need to really identify and make sure that they're guided by love, selflessness, not by power, by narcissism, by ego, by control, and certainly not by the desire for them to be loved and attention. A lot of charismatic people need a lot of attention and a lot of love, and they can get it. 
And I think a lot of, there's a lot of false prophets and false gurus, so to speak, and false teachers and people who are strong personalities and very charismatic. That doesn't mean that they're loving souls. Right. Doesn't and mean that they're right that's such and righteous. An important distinction to make. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to find the balance from there because there are so many things that we're gaming for at once. A good sense of boundaries, a good sense of showing up at the right time, a good source of thinking things through, making informed plural decisions, having the right instincts about things, resisting the wrong impulses. There's so many parts of that moving piece of being a balanced man in the day-to-day -day action that it just, it can feel really taxing having all of it go on at that time. And mm -hmm. I settled down with that. I, I go, okay, we're going to be all right. That only happens the moment that I, I see all of the little things that I can do as a person to step back into that balance. Yeah. And that's yeah, it's like, step it's by like, step, man. It's like a new apartment that I'm just slowly moving bit by bit things into. That new apartment mm -hmm. being like the, the place where I'm going to find my, my next layer of self. Yeah. I am so grateful that we were able to dive in together about, I guess, what your path looked like. And I want to offer you the, the, the same ability to ask me the same question of like, if you have any questions that you'd like me to answer about what navigating has looked like for me, fire away. Sure, man. Well, I guess one uh, one question would be how do you identify past hurts whether it's from people or just circumstances in life uh, identify them and then heal from them what is your process because I think we talked a little bit about this in this podcast and my last one about the wounded man and kind of resents and and growing up the wrong way and right. navigating through the process of, of healing. Definitely. How do we find those things? That's really important. I would say uh, a lot of it comes from the fact that what we do feels normal. Where the things that we've gotten comfortable with uh, have this kind of, we, we gloss over them when we do them because it just kind of feels like that autopilot that I was talking a little bit about. And really, for me, the first step to the process of healing is literally the sentence, wait, stop, this doesn't feel normal. The moment that you reach that level of coming to conscious epiphany of what the, your behavior, my behavior, what my behavior looks like in the contrast to what I'm looking for, what I'm aiming for, what I'm aspiring to be, well, then I see the start to my journey start walking that road anytime I want to so for me the first part is the realization of wait that's that's maybe not that's not normal but that's not what a healthy realized man would do yeah and that's hard it's really hard and if it's it, it all goes back into that sense that I was talking about last episode with you that sense of radical trust in the human to change for the better. 
it's yep. completely rooted in a love for oneself first and foremost because if i didn't love myself i wouldn't be going through this i do yeah. this because i love myself and it's with that love that i make it through alive yep very good for sure you know self-love is there's been a lot of emphasis i think in the last few years on self-healing self-love self-help i think one has to be careful not not to then breach into self-absorption self-admiration you know selfishness <laughs> uh narcissism you know because there's a lot of we live in a culture of the self it's about getting what you want pleasing yourself self 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 and i think absolutely i think redefining a healthy self-love is really important you know like in the self-attention and being aware of self because self-love is actually self-accountability self-responsibility when you love yourself you're accountable with yourself you start having realizations that your choices affect yourself and the others around you and you become more accountable you know and i think sometimes people make the mistake of venturing into a lot of relativity and right they you, they they erase the borders and the protections of right and wrong. Yep. Yep. And when you do that, and it's all good, man. It's just my self-love. I'm working on this, and you're working on that. And your actions don't affect me. I don't affect this. But it's actually not true. Because it's all related, yeah. man. And so kind of going overboard into that, I'm kind of seeing that a lot on uh, millennials and a lot of the self-help Instagram culture people who are like... They're like the Instagram coaches. It's pretty hilarious. But when they, when they say your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth and your path is... There is truth in that, but there's also not a lot of truth in that. Yeah, because honestly, if your truth is hurting somebody else, it's not truth. So your truth isn't your truth. Your truth is bullshit. <laughs> if it's hurting somebody else, it's bullshit. <laughs> and you know, that's where we as men... We, we have to convey that as men and live that and represent that right. and, and you know not not participate in that relativity yeah, and that wishy-washy stuff. we got to be able to observe it and we got to be able to say, hold on a sec, this slick, and then do something differently yeah. about it. I've seen self-help, self-care, self-love as like really big buzzwords from marketing and stuff oh, like that. Oh, they so much are, yeah. Because there's been this super strong link to like the bath bombs and the 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 sweet little comfortable things the the super tasty stuff i love it i love it so much it's becoming a little transactional the idea of self-validation and a bath bomb it's, it's costing us a lot of money and not giving us a lot of uh, fulfillment yep so i started learning a little bit about this thing called collective care and it blew my mind, man. I mean, I feel like I'm probably preaching to the choir 110% right now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But it's, it's, it's just so liberating to be able to think of a place of like mutual dependability in each other in a, in a group of people. There's something about that that feels so freeing. Yeah, and that's... Yeah, well, that's... That's my lifestyle. I mean, I live in a community. I grew up in a community of people 
from all over the world, all walks of life, all different ages. And so the collective care is literally happening in my life. It's day to day. You know, we live on the same land. We share all things in common. Yeah. We help each other grow. And that was founded by my parents, uh, Gabriel Urantia and Ian Emerson Chase. And so having that type of upbringing from day one to now for 30 years has been a uh, tremendous blessing. Yeah. That collective care. And having the thing, too, is that living with that many people that you trust and love right. is incredible. And sometimes you can, I mean, in, in the true sense of the word, you can't love someone without trusting them. But in the false sense of the word, which a lot of the people in humanity are living by, you can love a family member but not trust them. Right. Can, oh, that's, you know a, what I'm saying? that's such a good distinction. Yeah, and so trust is a huge thing. Yeah. I have family members that I love. That doesn't mean I trust them. Right. And that's right. because we've maybe never had the ability to truly exchange love for each other and, and live in love for each other. And so biological families, you love innately because of blood. But yeah. In a sense of community and the community culture and the connections that we make here and the human intimate connections that we make with one another through friendships, the love always has trust. And so being around that many people that you trust and love is yeah. absolutely astonishing. It's an incredible experience oh, because you know that when that person comes to correct you, care for you, it's because they love you and you trust them so you can receive it, you know. And it's like when you have a close biological family, your dad can call you up or your mom or your uncle or even your older brother or whoever in your family and say, hey, look, you know, if it's... What you're doing right now is not working, man. You're going to hurt yourself. You know, I think you really need to slow down and take a step back. And you're more likely to listen because they're their family member. And you know they love you and they care about you. Um, even if you've had past transgressions, even if you don't understand each other, you're more likely to listen because of the love they have for you. Um, now, but do you fully trust them because of past wounds and they've done things? You know, maybe not. But maybe you probably do more than the average person. And so imagine though having a community and a family of 80 adults where you trust and love them and they're all that family like that to you. So huge blessing, man. And I like that, that the collective, so the concept. Yeah, it's, it's wild and, it's, and it works. It yeah. is the lifestyle of, of the near future uh, for all of humanity, I think, because the world's falling apart, man. Yep. Um, yep. It's really in the systems that we've created, the consumerism, the, the injustice that we live in, the control, the corporations, right. the lack of uh, spirituality in culture, the lack of morality in culture, it's all falling apart. And people are going to be... I just went on Facebook today because I don't spend a lot of time on Facebook. And I saw like three different posts from people like, who wants to go in with me and buy land together? Ooh. Who wants to get off? You know, we got to get off grid real quick because they're sensing the instability of the world. The yeah, food, the water, yeah, the, all of the right. sources, the politics, the economy, it's all falling apart, man. And so if you live dependent upon that system, right. it's a scary world. If you don't live in that system, like I don't, I got my own food, I got my own water, I got my own family. I'm blessed. And that was created uh, by my parents for that reason, really, to prepare for a time and place on this planet to usher in a new way of living. Yeah, apt timing for that. Very apt yeah. timing. Yeah. The world For is sure, getting man. more and more frightening each day. 
I'm right there with you. Um, it's surpassed levels I thought possible in a lot of different ways. I keep referencing yeah. with my friends about like it's like walking into a Baskin Robbins store and just seeing thirty one ice cold different flavors of the apocalypse. <laughs> that can get really overwhelming sometimes, having to just sit with all of that. I think it's so beautiful that you have this is a time where like more than ever I, I hope for the ability to find collective care and strong webs of support groups. Well, I think, too, at some point, a very personal relationship with a creator yeah. has to enter into yeah. somebody's life. I like you that. Know? And I think it does, it's not about a religion. It's not about dogma. It's just about the very beautiful process of the being aware that we're created beings by a loving creator personality. Yeah. yeah. Loving creator personality. Not a scary fearful mean old white man in the sky i guess it's through that development of the relationship with the god that i feel that i perceive through the the everyday circumstances around me and i see the the essence of god and i see the essence of this creator figure for me and i also see the essence of the politics that runs and turns it into a very human construct and the parts of that that go wrong, I protest. But I also remain deeply rooted in the Christian ideology in a lot of ways. I think a lot about what would happen if Jesus were like able to witness what today looked like. Yeah. He'd be... Uh... <laughs> He'd be, he'd be bugging, dude. <laughs> he'd be, <laughs> he'd be horrified. <laughs> yeah, man. He, uh, yeah. I think that he said about coming back with the sword, man. I was like, when I was a kid, I was like, that sounds a little intense, doesn't it? And now I'm like, mm. well, you know, he's coming back at some point, man. I don't he, know when he's. Uh, no one does, but I think it's going to be sooner than we think. Do you have any ways that you, as as who you are, as the man you are, tap into a deeper sense of presence for moments you especially want to be there for? Hmm. Good question. Thank you. Well, I think I think for me it's about slowing down. Yeah, you know, I like that. Slowing down, slowing down the mind. Slowing down the, the heart, slowing down our spinning wheels, and really being intentional. And I fail at it all the time because I'm a very fast-moving, yeah, sure. driven, busy, go-getter type personality and, and man. And so really being intentional about slowing down and, and simplifying is huge. We slow down and we simplify. If you think of these kind of iconic figures that are uh, in a state of what we, we'd consider bliss, but it's not, you know, bliss is a, is a never-ending pursuit. But if you think of the figures who are in a state of peace, like the monks or the Buddha, these sages, these spiritual men and women throughout time who exist in this plane of spiritual peace, what, what do they all have in common? Well, they live simple lives and they slow down and their priorities they're not complex lives with a bunch of stuff 
infiltrating their consciousness. They're not concerned about the material. They're not concerned about the nonsense, you know. And so for me, being present for moments, yeah, it's just I have to empty the bookshelf. It's like my mind is a big bookshelf. And if it's packed full of books and trinkets and this and that and scrolls and it's just a mess, I got to sort through it. I got to clear it. I got to leave it empty so that something new can come in, you know. Yeah. Non-attachment, I think, is something I've been thinking about a lot lately, too. That's yeah. not a new teaching. It's nothing new. It's what, you know, Buddhist philosophy has been teaching about for 2,000 years about non-attachment. But really diving deep into the understanding of non-attachment because I'm finding that I'm a, I'm a, I'm a very attached person. I'm attached to my viewpoints. I'm attached to my opinions. I'm attached to my agenda. I'm attached to what I want. And I'm freaking vicious about getting it. <laughs> and so, and I think a lot of people are without realizing that. And so, so for me, finding a place of peace and non-attachment to the outcome of things and non-attachment to my agenda. Yeah. Non-attachment in general is has been an interesting pursuit. Right. And really just being less attached <laughs> and the process for that feels it honestly feels a little freeing i get so confused when i go in there it feels really arcane to me right now i don't quite understand what it is for me to do to to be able to fall into that space a little more frequently mm -hmm. and i don't want to try and force it i just i don't know how to get there the more that you manually get there by meditation by intentional pursuit, by connection. You know, some people can take the drugs. Some people can get high. Some people can do whatever. And it's a shortcut, and it's a temporal thing, and it's a transient experience. Um, but actually existing in that space, I think I find for me, I exist in that space the more selfless I am. Right. How do I practice selflessness? Through practical service. What is service? Service to others. How do I serve somebody else? Well, in a community setting, it's a lot easier. How do you serve someone else when you're sitting in your house there in a rural town? And, you know, what does that mean to serve somebody else? It could be different, but the act of service and the act of caring and the act of getting out of sight of oneself, you naturally get into a non-attached state of being because you're, you're focused on somebody else, something else important. Right. You That's know? a lot of the feeling that I get when I when I engage in the advocacy work that I've put so much of my time into so far. Yeah, exactly. It feels like that work allows me to approach that from a really engaged place and say what I'm doing is contributing to making the world a little better a place. And I really yeah. do live for those moments. You know, I don't have a lot of means right now. I'm, I'm not particularly wealthy. I don't have a lot of cash on my name. I'm growing a little bit. I'm young still. We're both young. But I know that I have such potent kinds of wealth that I've seen very wealthy people envy. Mm-hmm. Peace, yeah. Yeah, and, and I dig into that. And it yeah, just... states of consciousness and realities and, and contentedness and blessedness. You know, when you, when you have an insatiable appetite for things like wealthy people do, You'll never happy. That's the interesting thing. The more you have, the more you want. The more you have, the more you think you need. You gotta get the bigger house. You just keep thinking you need more. 
there's such a there's such a beautiful Buddha principle of the peace of non-attachment that you get to that mental state with nothing, no desire for anything, and that's why I've I've interacted with some very very wealthy people too, and, and been in their homes and, and and interacted with them quite a bit. And I'm not saying all wealthy people are miserable people and bad people, not at all, but there is an emptiness and a, and an interesting lack of. Um, I think they're just not hungry, spiritually, physically, they, you know. And so, when you have everything right at your disposal, it's kind of like you're not hungry, but you think you're hungry. If you know what I mean, you just you can right. eat whatever you want. There's you can eat like you that want. phantom craving for whatever it is. Yeah. Where like, we might not. And they're never going to be fulfilled. Yeah. Yeah. Those are because it's a spiritual thing. I feel like I get distracted by artificial versions of that feeling very often. Yeah, we all do. Yeah, especially for like the impossible circumstances of like deep perpetual fulfillment. There's a way that we're taught of how we act, and it's almost impossible for those general principles we're taught to interact with the, the beautiful, fulfilling life that we seek. And yeah. the way that those paths never intersect how that becomes impossible causes a lot of frustration and people that just repeat the cycle even harder out of spite sometimes yeah and it can be the biggest most shocking thing in the world for someone to realize actually wait there is there there there, there is a way for this to to spin out there's a light at the end of this tunnel yep now i think my last pot, my podcast is coming out on Fridays about yeah. the duality of man. Ooh, all right, all right. And you wanna you wanna take a minute to, to hype that up a bit? <laughs> well, sure. I, well, it relates to what we're talking about, I think. But just the the struggle of our lower self and our higher self, our human nature and our spiritual nature. You know, our duality and really trying to pursue singularity. What I've been calling yeah. totality. I wrote a prose, which will be in my, my podcast, but it's like, I am a coward. I seek to be courageous. I am weak. I seek to be strong. I am all these things, and that's the duality of all human beings. We are these traits. We seek to be something better. It would be foolish to say, I am strong, and I am sometimes weak. Because really, most human beings are weak, seeking to be strong now some human beings are less weak than others some some human beings become quite strong but it's the recognition of the duality of our existence and the pursuit of these higher virtues that we have to stay in and stay humble and stay real and, and pursue that and so you know it's it's, a, it's an interesting subject for me because it's like you can we're always battling our lower and our higher selves yeah. You know, there's always right. a battle there. And I think anyone who's genuine about their growth won't just won't realize that. You can't just think, Oh, I'm always in my higher self. I'm just ascended master. I'm I'm elevated. I'm in a state of bliss. I'm enlightened. We may have enlightened moments. We may have blissful moments because we became in, because we finally reached singularity where we weren't weak and strong. We were just strong for that moment, whatever it was. And we had that moment of bliss. But doesn't. But that means that the next day or the next moment, we might be challenged by something else. We go back to that battle of duality. Peace 
and peace of mind comes from you know conquering that war between us that duality that exists within souls you know that's another aspect and way to look at it in my I opinion. love every time we have this conversation about this topic we found it a couple yeah. of times and yeah. your insights on it are so well thought out I always have this very strong feeling when I hear that of is harmony possible between those two warring sides yeah it's that's it's a, I've contemplated it too and it's, it's interesting you use the word harmony because it's it's also a, what we're really craving is unity and when you have peace internally you can then spread peace externally when you have peace in the micro you can have peace in the macro and so what a beautiful concept we have to be peaceful beings you know yeah and I, even for me when I'm not when I'm struggling internally I'm at war internally I'm not a being of peace I can pretend like I am but on a particle reality level and an energetic level I'm not at peace and so I can't have peace in my home and peace with my friends and peace with my people yeah and so we, we all have to strive for that internal peace and then we can become peacemakers around us to hear we have it within these thoughts and ideas that you have yeah well they're just they're coming and they're going man and it's just uh and when will i be able to tune into the next episode that that one that one's coming out this friday so this friday it's yeah it's the 22nd today it's wednesday so the uh the 24th this friday yep called uh, the duality of man <laughs> the duality of man i cannot wait to listen to all of that five times over <laughs> on repeat and everybody listening you should too because there's probably going to be some really powerful insights well thanks man i appreciate appreciate the enthusiasm man hell yeah it's a subject that uh i'm passionate about and mainly because of my own my own battle with it my own realization of just trying to become a better man every day yeah isn't that the definition of what real really is at the bottom of everything i like it man yeah it is <laughs> it has been yeah. such a pleasure and an honor having this conversation with you today my dear you too brother i really appreciate you uh having me on your show i always feel like we uh we vibe well and it's a good learning experience for me to uh to hash it out with you man i hope our listeners can uh have the same have the same excitement that we both have <laughs> there's such a lovely mutuality to hacking it out in the same space yeah man i'm sure we'll be do i'm sure we'll do it again sometime for sure i look forward the to the next one until then, this has been a special episode, episode 16 of Deconstruct, with my dear friend Amadon Delabra of the Get Real and Die Trying podcast. An intense honor and gift as always. Folks, I want to thank you so much for making it all the way to the end of today's episode. I hope the aspect of the inner work becomes a little bit clearer and easier to do. I hope that you personally find a little bit of courage in the work that we have done. I hope that the idea of a wholesome and fulfilling role model has 
clarified itself to you. And I hope that you've been able to just feel a little bit of weight shed off of your back throughout this conversation. This was the first episode of a brand new series, long-term series, that we're going to be exploring on the Deconstruct podcast about journeying through the ugliness of presupposed masculinity, confronting, confessing, exploring, and healing. It's going to be a long journey, and it's going to be filled with insight. I am so excited to embark on this with all of you, and I am truly grateful from the very depths of my heart that you're here in this experience with me today. If you haven't already, head to our link tree, l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash deconstruct podcast. You'll be able to follow all of our social media channels, our Twitter, our Instagram, and our Facebook right there. Conversations are one of the most powerful things we can have as people. So if you know anyone who might be able to pick something up, a man who's lost his way or a woman who's being incredibly patient, please have a conversation with them about what we're doing in Deconstruct. Our doors are wide open. The more, the merrier. That's all I've That's it for today, everybody. Stay sharp, stay cool, and stay beautiful. I'm Fitzgerald Pucci, and this is Deconstruct. Deconstruct.